Psalm 2 this morning. The title of the message, Jesus Reigns. So we're stepping aside from the Gospel of John this morning for a minute, but uh, actually it ties right in to the passage that we've been dealing with when Jesus warned his disciples that in this world they would uh, have trouble, uh, the uh, they would be persecuted, they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us as well. So we come to that second psalm, we read that earlier in the scripture uh, reading. So, But I'd like to introduce it by emphasizing that this weekend, tomorrow, our nation will be celebrating the uh, 246th anniversary of the birth of our nation as a constitutional republic. It was founded by men who were escaping the tyranny of both the kings of Europe and the church, the state church in Europe. They wanted freedom. And so they came here and established this constitutional republic for that uh, reason, to recognize and protect the God-given, that's government's responsibility. Government's responsibility is to protect our God-given rights and uh, so that we can live in true freedom. But sadly, as I stated earlier in the prayer, we hardly recognize this nation today. And many in Washington want our nation to be ruled by big government. It's, uh, it's hardly the uh, dream that our founding fathers had envisioned and we're watching, I think, a desperate effort to do all they can to establish a strong central government that's not only national, but international. They want a one world government. And this is what we read in Scripture. And so we're watching the world just falling apart around us, and it can be quite disconcerting. We may be tempted to live in fear because of the uncertainties of our future. They're threatening you know, there's inflation, they're threatening disasters and shortages and, and uh, famines, upheavals of various kinds, and that we see the hatred and disruptions and divisions that are all around us. Jesus warned of wars and rumors of wars dominating the news cycle. But we long, and we long for the return to the old days and to normality. As believers, we yearn for Jesus Christ to return. He said He's going to return. He said that almost 2,000 years ago. He's not been back yet. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Maybe today. But it's very clear in Scripture that we're not just to sit on our thumbs, as it were, our hands, and just wait idly for Jesus to come again. Indeed, Psalm 2 instructs us serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And why? Because Jesus reigns even now. He's reigning. We may not see it. And when we watch things on the news, we may say, I question that. <laughs> no, he's reigning. Someone, I think, has 
appropriately appropriately said uh, I think and I think this is God's program if you want the best way to uh, to get what you know to to win a battle is just let the enemy destroy himself and maybe that's how the Lord is going to do this but Psalm 2 tells us that Jesus reigns and Psalm 2 proves this fact and then this is what we want to look at so first of all we want to just concentrate on the psalm itself here the psalm 2 applied it opens with a question why do the nations and the, the hebrew word there is a reference to gentiles in fact when it's quoted in in acts 4 which which we'll look at also in a second it's translated there gentiles because it uses the greek word for that for gentiles why do the nations rage? The Gentiles rage. And the peoples. This word for peoples is the Hebrew word loam, which uh, means a people group, a tribe, a family of peoples. Nations are, are put together of people groups. But uh, in this case, and I, I'm going to try to prove it to you, I believe that uh, the psalm writer here using the term peoples to refer to the Jews, the people of Israel, as they are often referred to. Why do the nations rage and the peoples vainly plot? I think the uh, I've looked at that in the Hebrew, and I and and I would translate it: Why do the peoples vainly plot? In other words, I think there's a connection between the, the nations raging and the plotting of the peoples because it's the, it's the plotting of the peoples that provokes the raging of the nations. And I believe, or I believe without any question in my mind in the study of history that this is how they have functioned. So the question is asked, why do the nations the Gentiles rage and the peoples of Israel uh, provoke them to vanity. And the, so then the next question we should ask is, what vanity do the Jews plot? And I believe they provoke rebellion against God to thwart His purpose in bringing salvation to the Gentiles. There is plenty of evidence for that in the scriptures. Even the Jewish church had a real tough time with the Apostle Paul, who was one of them, because he was taking the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. They, their view of Messiah was that he would come and take David's throne and destroy the Gentiles and establish Israel as the supreme nation in the world. And Jesus wasn't going to do that. What, what, there was one time they really got upset with him because he said, you know, back in the days of Elisha, there were many who had leprosy in Israel but nobody was was healed of his leprosy 
save a Syrian Gentile. That upset them greatly. Why? Gentiles are dogs. They don't deserve any mercy from God. Now, we read here, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Anointed one. His Messiah. His Christ. The rebellious have always railed against God and His Christ. Desperate to be released from divine restraints. Nobody wants to submit to God's laws. Isn't that amazing? Nobody wants to keep God's laws and His rules. We, we can see that rage here in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. How they responded to it. But notice what God's response is. It is to laugh, to mock, and deride. Those who rage against him will meet him in his wrath and fury. However, Psalm 2 reveals that it is the Jews who provoke the Gentiles to rage against God because as they understood, God was going to use Christ to save save Gentiles. Now, why did it upset them? Isaiah made that very clear. In Isaiah chapter 46, it's one of my... I love that passage where the son, the father and the son here are debating. God's going to send his son into the world to take on human flesh, to suffer and bleed and die for the sins of his people. And the Lord said, then here promised in verse 6, he promised his Redeemer, it is to light a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, the remnant within that nation was going to be saved. But God goes on to say, I will make you a light for the nations, the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Yes, there it is right there. In the psalm itself, notice the plot. To counter this plot, God says that He established. He already did it. It's it uh, in the in the psalm. It's a done deal. I have set my son. I have set my king. Excuse me, Jesus, on Zion, my holy hill. This is not a future hope. This is a present reality. Jesus reigns because God decreed, and here, listen to this, this is verses 7 and 8 now. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and listen to it, I will make the nations, the Gentiles, your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. How does, how, how does God answer them? <laughs> I've set my... You're raging against me and my anointed one? Well, I'm going to tell you guys, I've already set him on Zion, my holy hill. And, I've t- and I have instructed him. You ask of me, 
and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He already planned to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. So Jesus came to the Jews. He came into this world, took on human flesh, came born as a Jew. Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. He came to them and when he began his public ministry, he announced to them the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Hear now. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. And again, Jesus rebutted the Jews' accusation that he cast out demons in the power and authority of the prince of demons. His, in response, he argued, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and it was, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. So to bring the kingdom of light into, the, uh, into this sin-darkened world, Jesus must destroy the kingdom of darkness with the gospel. How does he go, how's he going to win this battle? It's the gospel. He planted his churches to preach the gospel. Which goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. When Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Iconium. And we see, here's a pattern. The scripture tells us a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is Acts chapter 14 verse 1. Then we read, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Why did the nations rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? the Jews stirred up the Gentiles to mistreat them, that is Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them. So they fled to Lystra and Derbe. A pattern here that's repeated again and again throughout the book of Acts. Paul goes in, preaches the gospel, a number of them get saved, but then there, there are those Jews then who begin to stir the pot. And even city authorities to rain down their wrath upon the apostles. The New Testament explains the Old Testament. And here's one of those places where it explains the Old Testament. We have Peter and those who preached the gospel there at the temple, healed a man who was lame. They, uh, they beat the apostles. They incarcerated them. They told them, don't you preach in his name anymore. And then he released them. They, when he released them, they went back to their own and had a prayer meeting. That prayer meeting is described there in Acts chapter 4. And in that prayer meeting, they, they cited this passage in their prayer and submitted themselves to, the, to their sovereign Lord. In it, Jesus had already recently suffered at the hands of Herod, Pilate, and the Gentiles and the elders of Israel. So now it was their turn. And they understood from Psalm 2 that the Gentiles raged because the Jews vainly plot. What the saints were experiencing was only 
what God's sovereign plan predestined to take place. Nothing is out of God's control. Believing that, the threatened disciples asked God to grant them His support as they continued to preach Christ's name. That brings us to the second point here. Jesus, the King of the, of the ages, is now judging the world. He is judging it now. So we read there in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men, people, love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, so that uh, <clears throat> lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why do people hate Christ? Why do they want to avoid the church? Because their works are evil, and they don't want them exposed. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus revealed, now, this is John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Revelation 12 affirms this truth. We're in a spiritual war. And that war is often very intense. So we're told in Revelation 13 and verse 10, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Toughen up. Quit you like men. Be, be strong. We're in a war. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Jesus and his servants are, the, are now said to be the aggressors. That's why they hate us. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will, shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. The church is not a fortress defending itself against the onslaught of Satan and his horde. Not according to that. The church is the invading army attacking the gates of hell. Satan's fortress. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Boy, it doesn't look like we're winning. We, we, we look around we say, ah. Are we, are we ever going to be able to make it through this? But Jesus said, no, you, you put on the whole armor and stand firm. There in uh, Ephesians 6, there's actually three things he said. Put on the whole armor of God, stand firm in the evil day, and pray. And pray. The victory is already assured. We read there in Habakkuk chapter 2. I love this. And I heard a vo loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of, of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. That's, excuse me, this is Revelation. <laughs> this is Revelation. Uh, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. For the accuser of our brother 
has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him, they've already conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of, the, of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto the death. And now the Habakkuk reference. Indeed, Habakkuk testifies clear back then the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Do you believe that? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. 1 Corinthians 15 testifies to the ultimate victory in the end. Paul explains that the resurrection the resurrection, that is our, our victory over death. Everybody is going to be raised. What, the, the, lost, the saved and the lost alike will be raised one day. Why? Jesus defeated death in his resurrection. And resurrection day is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and, they, and shall come out of the graves. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting shame and contempt. And 1 Corinthians testifies to this. Paul explains the resurrection, which is victory over the last enemy. <clears throat> the last enemy is death. And, and, but this resurrection comes first, and then it says, and then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom. So the kingdom's already there, because he's going to deliver it now to, the God, to God the Father, after destroying, listen, here's what he's doing, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Wow. He's reigning now. And he's putting his enemies under his feet. And you know what? You are soldiers in his army. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand firm in the evil day. Quit you like man, be strong. Pray. Because what has what we read there in Psalm two, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And by the way, in the in Revelation that said of believers too. Psalm 2.9 In view of this, we are instructed to be wise and be warned. Every person has a choice, either to kiss the Son, that is, submit to Him for mercy and salvation, or perish in the way, where His wrath is quickly kindled. Psalm 2.12 If we are wise and warned, we will serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 2.11 this psalm then offers great encouragement because it closes with this sentence. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Refuge here is a participle meaning to seek or to flee to someone or something for protection. Thus spiritually, it speaks of one's putting his trust or hope in God for protection. So we read there in Psalm 5. Verses 11 and 12. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. 
Let them ever sing for joy and spread your, your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you for you bless the righteous. O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. Wow. So Jesus expanded this confidence in, in his kingdom speech do, in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 33. Do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you seeking the kingdom? Christians are to be obedient and loyal servants of King Jesus right now. Trusting him, hoping in him, waiting upon him, serving him, because he is bringing it to pass. Jesus is the Lord, the absolute, supreme, sovereign ruler of all. The gospel aged on with the resurrected Jesus seated at the right hand of the majesty. This truth is testified on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit on the new covenant people. And in that, Peter preached to the Jews who crucified him. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Acts 2.36 The Jews were expecting the Christ. And they rejected Jesus who, did, who was producing all the signs that proved that he was the Christ. But he didn't meet their expectations. They expected Messiah to destroy the Gentiles and establish the throne of David over Israel. So they rejected Jesus. But God made him both Lord and Christ. And I will make the Gentiles your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 2 verse 8. Luke records that uh, Jesus was taken, uh, arrested there on, on the night of his betrayal. He was uh, forced then to appear before the council and in their interrogation they asked him again, if you are the Christ, tell us. That's Luke 22 verse 67. Jesus responded, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from, listen to him, but from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They didn't like that. They did not like that. We're going to kill you. And then we'll see see if, if that comes true. Well, it happened. That's the place where he rules. And, and will continue to rule until he comes to take possession of his throne in the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is Lord. Lord. I say, do you believe in lordship salvation? In a, in a real sense, yes, I do. The absolute supreme and sovereign ruler, King Jesus. King of the ages. My king and my Lord. Jesus humbled himself, became a slave, submitted to God's purpose to redeem a people for his name, Jesus obediently died as a sacrifice to atone for his people's sins. And then, as a reward of that obedience, the scripture says, God raised him from the dead and highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. If you do not bow the knee to Jesus now, you will do so later, but it will be only to acknowledge the condemnation deserved. Jesus reigns now. And that's also affirmed in the Revelation. The angel who was to sound the seventh trumpet announced, the kingdom, and listen to this, because this is important. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's what Psalm 2 says. The, the verb here is an ingressive aorist in the Greek, which means it has taken place. Jesus has already begun to rule. And his reign began when he was exalted to the Father's right hand. However, kingdom building is slow and often unnoticed work, but it is being done. After the proclamation of the angel of the seventh trumpet, the announcement was confirmed by 24 elders who fell down on their faces. It says that the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Another an aggressive arrest. The nations raged. Psalm 2. The nations raged, but your wrath came. That's Psalm 2. And the time for the dead, that is the spiritually dead, to be judged. And we're living in that time of wrath and the nations raging for, and for the rewarding of your servants. That will come at the end. And for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. And his reign means that he is now judging his, his enemies and subduing them under his feet until he is revealing at the day of judgment. Paul testified to the church at Corinth waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would sustain them until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. As they waited for his revealing, believers live in the world that is hostile to God and them. And Paul declared here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors go from bad to worse. Aren't they? <laughs> Are they not? Deceiving and being deceived. Our times 
are then described in Psalm 2. The nations rage, God's laughs. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Therefore serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with it. Trembling, kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. So let me just close it out here. Who are these citizens of the kingdom that are to be the heritage of the Lord? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is what I'm saying. The warfare is, is not a battle where we're swinging swords and throwing spears and running at the enemy. It is preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Jesus told the disciples there when he was transfigured into heaven. He says, now stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit that God would pour out. And when he comes, then what, you were, what you're supposed to do is you're, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to preach the gospel. And Paul explained, he was given understanding of the mystery. And what was that mystery? To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. And that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the question is, what is that mystery plan hidden for the, in, for the ages? This is it. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ, how? Through the gospel. Ephesians 3.6 Thus, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 Believers who confess that Jesus is Lord are saved and delivered from the wrath to come. And just as Paul encouraged the saints at Thessalonica who turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. This confession of Christ as Lord is not just a one-time act, but it's an ongoing submission to His Lordship. As you have received... Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. But see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, according to the, to, but, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So believers are to live out their lives then in kingdom obedience to Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17 We live in a sin-contaminated flesh 
We fail often, and sadly, many resign to the flesh, finding the fight just too hard and hopeless. This fight with the flesh reveals the true saving power of Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind not on, on, on set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Colossians three. 1 to 3. So let me just close by saying Jesus warned his disciples that they would not that they should not be led astray by false prophets, rumors of wars, but understand that international upheavals, famines, natural disasters, persecutions, apostasy, betrayal would mark the age. These days would be marked by increased lawlessness, while love would grow cold Nevertheless, the gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed throughout the whole world before the end. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14. The mark of a true believer then who survives these times would be their endurance. The one who endures to the end shall be saved. Verse 13. Father, thanks for this truth. Jesus is reigning. Right now he's reigning. He's putting all of his enemies under his feet. He's ruling with a rod of iron, dashing in pieces as a, as a, a potter's vessel. And Lord, we, we, we sometimes don't see it. We don't see it, but Lord, it is a fact. And one of these days, it will be victory. Victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. And we just praise you and thank you for it in his name. Amen.